Romans 12, 9 through 21. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil, evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Believe it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing, for by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Thank you, Stephanie. As I mentioned earlier, it's good to be with you. Um, we're going to be in for a, a, a ride today, I suppose. Um, real quick, for those of you that haven't been with us um, over the last several weeks, let me just kind of catch us up, and then um, we'll kind of dive in. Um, a couple of weeks ago, maybe about a month and a half ago or so, we started a series we're calling The Committed Life, The Committed Life of Joy. And so if you've been with us over the last several weeks, we've spent um, a lot of time in this ancient spiritual practice called the prayer of examine. Not necessarily every week, but um, just about every other week, uh, we've been spending time in our gathered setting um, to practice this. Sometimes we've kind of done it on our own. Sometimes we've kind of done it in groups. Um, but really what we're asking, um, right out of Psalm 139, we're really just asking the Lord to show us, to examine us, to reveal to us the ways in which we're less than committed. When, when we step aside or um, stray off the path of following Jesus, um, we're asking God to kind of show that to us. And in a lot of ways, today we'll kind of be... Um, I'm kind of thinking of it almost like as a hinge, as we walk through a door from the first half of this series to the second half of this series. And we're not going to get away from the examine today. We're actually going to stay in the examine for one more Sunday. Um, but if it's felt kind of cerebral or nebulous the last several weeks, as we've really just been kind of introspective, and really been spending a lot of time kind of um, thinking, um, considering, praying together, uh, a lot of that will kind of continue today, but um, it'll get a little more practical as uh, in the next several weeks. But um, Kyler's laughing. We'll keep it, it's not meant to be merely intellectual or, you know, cognitive today. So we'll see how, how well that goes. But um, today's going to be actually really interactive. As I'm kind of thinking about um, what we're going to do today, it, it may be the most interactive um, sermon we've ever had at Christ City Church. I'm not, I'm not sure, and that's only if it goes well. If I talk too much, it won't be, so I'm hoping that I don't talk too much. Um, but as I said, we're going to continue the examine today, and we're going to do it in three movements, and I'll kind of walk us all through that. But for those of you that haven't been with us or need a little bit of reminding, let me just remind you what the examine is. It comes right out of Psalm 139. The psalmist writes, Search me, O God, know my thoughts. Consider if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in your way everlasting. 
This was invented a long time ago, or at least he's accredited with it, by a man named Ignatius of Loyola. And he writes this. He says, speaking of the examine, they should practice the seeking of God's presence in all things, in their conversations, their walks, in all that they see, taste, hear, understand. That'll be important for us today. And in all their actions. The seeking of God's presence in all things, conversations, what we understand, and in their actions. And so as I, as I mentioned, today will really just be a day where we spend some time thinking about and praying and inviting God to speak into, listening to and hearing from God about things that we think, about knowledge base that we hold, belief systems, ways of thinking, default modes, what you might call biases or prejudices that we hold. So as I mentioned um, a, a little while ago, today was our monthly corporate fast, and so we invited the whole church to participate in a day of fasting. And now, obviously, as we fast and we pray, you're always welcome to fast and pray around whatever the Lord and the Spirit brings to you, but we also gave you a few guides, and we always do, um, and we invited the church to fast and to pray around three specific things. Race, reconciliation, and unity. And so today, in our gathered time, we're going to continue taking that up. And in various ways, we're going to just invite the Lord into that conversation. And I'll, I'll kind of have more to say about that later as we go. Um, but already I just know, like, I can feel, and I just, I, um, it, myself, like, a lot of us already have our guard up, right? Um, so I just, in full candor, just as a heads up, it, it may be a bit dicey for you today. If you feel yourself kind of your hair standing up and you're on guard already, um, I just want to remind everybody that this is a safe place. This is a place where we all gather together under the banner of Jesus. And so while we may not agree about all the particulars, while we may not agree about all the minutiae about how we organize our society and how we make political decisions, um, the, the, the point of today is not going to be for us to come to decisions and make agreements with one another, but it will really be a day where we invite the Lord to show us, to speak to us, um, that we might hear from him about the ways in which maybe we're off and we're out of step with what his gospel has to say. And so, as I mentioned earlier, you need a pen and a paper, so if you haven't got that or you don't have that, um, you can go grab it now. I won't. It's not going to distract me. I'm going to keep going, but... Um, you're welcome to grab that so that you can use that. As I mentioned, we're going to break up into groups, and we're going to be doing some processes together, but um, I think that's it for just introduction. I'm going to pray for us and honestly for myself real quick, and then we're going to continue going. Lord, thank you um, for just a time to be with you, and just, Lord, I pray for the next several minutes as we seek to hear from you and we step into some murky waters. Um, Lord, I just pray um, for each one of us. Lord, I do um, pray for myself. I, I've already admitted this uh, once earlier today in front of a few friends, but Lord, I'm nervous about today. I'm nervous about how it might come across, how it might be received. And so, Lord, I just pray against any um, divisiveness. I pray against any resentment, any roots of bitterness that would crop up as we um, try to just address and think about and pray about and hear from you about things that are um, 
actually quite relevant to our time and our place and our period of history, things that have gotten a lot of attention in the last couple of years. And so, Lord, just be with us. May grace um, be on our lips, in our words, and in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So, movement one. This is what I've, I'm just going to break it into three divisions. You might call this um, thoughts about me, or you in your case. You might call this the temptation of the flesh. We're going to use that ancient division, uh, you know, where they, they talk about the flesh, the world, and the devil. I don't know if you've ever kind of heard that tripartite division, but you might consider this the temptation of the flesh, to love or hate oneself wrongly. Thomas Merton writes, The man who is not afraid to admit everything that he sees to be wrong with himself and yet recognizes that he may be the object of God's love precisely because of his shortcomings can begin to be sincere. His sincerity is based on confidence, not in his own illusions about himself, but in the endless, unfailing mercy of God. The man or woman who is not afraid to admit everything that they see wrong in themselves cannot be sincere. But on the other side of that admittance, as the object of God's love, we can be. And so, this is going to be kind of our cadence uh, for the rest of the day. I'm going to kind of just give us an on-ramp to get in and think about some of these things. And then, you should be able to go to the next slide. Yes. And then I'll give you a few questions that will just serve as kind of guardrail or guides for you. And then I'm going to basically literally set a timer for about two minutes. This one's actually going to be the, the briefest uh, section of the day. But I'm going to give you about two minutes for you to pray, for you to listen, for you to hear from God how you might answer these questions. And then um, we're going to come back together, and I'll, I'll direct us next. But again, the point is for us to hear from God. What do you think of yourself? How do you... Uh, how do you go through life? How do you think about yourself? What's your default mode when you think about who you are, what you're here to do? And as again, there's the, the questions there that will hopefully guide you. You can write that down because after the, the listening prayer, we're actually going to share it with our small groups. Um, so we're going to take two minutes, going to process these questions, and then we'll come back and share together what we think we've heard for the next two minutes. And that will kind of be the rhythm for the day. Um, Search us, O God, and know our hearts. Try us and know our thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in us, and lead us in the way everlasting. Amen. So, two minutes.
Okay, so now what I want to invite you to do is turn to your group. Um, again, it's just going to be real brief, but I just want to invite you, whoever you're kind of circled up with, again, three to five. Five might be too many for what we're going to do a little bit later, but um, now I'm going to give you about two minutes. I just want you to kind of share what you think you heard, um, what your experience was um, with those in your group. This is just kind of, and more than anything, this is just to kind of help us step into the process um, before we can really consider how we treat other people um, and some of the, the kind of murky things we'll talk about in just a few minutes. Just want to kind of give you an opportunity to kind of dip your foot in the water, so to speak, and just share something that's a little maybe easier um, to do. So it'll be brief. Take about another two minutes, and then I'll come back up and we'll continue. Okay, I know that's going to feel like it was way not enough time, but uh, we do need to keep moving. Like I said, that one was just going to be kind of a warm-up in a lot of ways. Um, it was going to be really brief. Um, so, yeah, we're going to keep going now. So this is going to be movement two. So after we've considered kind of how we think about, we've asked God, search us, know us, our thoughts, our grievous ways about ourselves. Now we can think about how we think, how we act, how we dispose ourselves towards others. You might call this the temptation of the world to love or hate others wrongly. 1 John chapter 4 says this, We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God, and yet he hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother and sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him that the one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. Essentially, John there paraphrases the greatest commandment, right? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so we are actually, as I mentioned earlier, um, about, you know, some things will come up. We're going to be thinking um, somewhat politically today um, in our time together. I mean, we're here now. We've arrived at the political the original meaning of the political life comes from the Greek word polis. And really, political life just means how we interact with other people. We're not, we're not rise to the level of government 
or systems or institutions or any of that. It has nothing to do with who you vote for or the party that you sign off on. But the political life really just begins with how you treat and interact and think about other people. So we're going to do the same thing again, but it's going to be a little bit more extended. I'm going to give you about three minutes for each uh, of these processes. We're going to take three minutes to invite the Lord, show us, search us, know our hearts, try us and our thoughts. We're going to invite him to show us. And we have the questions. Yes, very similar. Take a few minutes. Think about, pray about these questions. And then after a couple minutes, I'll call us back, turn to our groups again, and we'll share what we think we may have heard, how our experience was in that time. Um, Hopefully that is pretty self-explanatory. Let me pray. Search us, O God, and know our hearts. Try us and know our thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in us. And lead us in the way everlasting. Amen. So we'll take three minutes in listening prayer. Again, I know that probably feels like it's moving pretty quick, but um, go ahead and turn to your group. Um, take, take about three minutes or so. Just kind of share what you think you, you heard, um, something you've kind of, maybe you already knew about yourself, but just in the ways that um, kind of answering these questions. Take three minutes to do that now.
Okay, again, I know somebody's going to get cut off more than likely. I'm sorry about that. We've reached our time limit for this part of uh, movement two. But um, if I could kind of bring you back together. As I mentioned a moment ago, um, technically we're already in like the political domain when we start thinking about how we treat other people, how we think about other people. So we're already technically speaking um, in the politic or the political uh, realm. But as I mentioned at the outset, and as I am kind of feeling it inside now, this is actually, this next section is actually where it's going to get a bit messy, a bit icky, maybe some, maybe challenging. Um, over the next couple minutes, those of you on the left may think that I'm trying to sway you further, more to the right, rather this way. Those of you on the right are going to think I'm trying to sway you more to the left, but I assure you that that is not at all the case. If the gospel confuses your categories... Well, that may be by design. Jesus uh, doesn't fit into our preconceived notions about politics, society, cultural assumptions about equity and equality. And that may actually be the point. Because, I mean, think about it. If Jesus simply met all your expectations and was easily molded into, like, your ideas and your uh, preconceived notions about how to structure society and how to uh, do political decisions and things of that nature, well, then it, what, what would you need Jesus for if you already had it all figured out? Because, again, our, the series that we're in and the faith that we hold to is the committed life here and now in this place. And so it's not just that Jesus punches our ticket to heaven, but he really invites us to live a certain way of life now. So some of you um, know uh, this. I think Jeremy may have even uh, quoted this a couple years ago in one of um, our gatherings. Some of you may have seen the play or perhaps read the book. It's rather famous, C.S. Lewis, The Screwtape Letters. Um, for those of you that don't know The Screwtape Letters, I, it takes a little bit of explaining for it to really be meaningful for us. But basically, The Screwtape Letters is there's this like head demon named Screwtape who takes this like novice demon under his wing named Wormwood, um, and he's teaching him and leading him about how to corrupt this young man's mind. So there's a, there's a young man who's a, just about to become a Christian. He's kind of like on his way, starting to think about accepting Jesus and believing in Jesus. And so Screwtape writes this guy Wormwood, or this demon Wormwood. He's like, well, we can't let that happen. And so he's trying to do everything he can to keep this man from professing faith in Jesus Christ, right? And this is one of the letters that he writes to him. He says, whichever he adopts, your main task, Wormwood, will be the same. Let him begin by treating patriotism or the pacifism as a part of his religion. So get him to confuse his political stance with his religion. And of course, we can update this. Patriotism might be like, nationalism, conservatism, you can say that however you want. Um, you could say that pacifism may be like progressivism, maybe like a democratic ideal, but you know, you can, you can fill in the blanks however you would like. He goes on, he says, then let him under the influence of partisan spirit come to regard it as the most important part. So if it begins by just kind of bringing the two together in some way, really what they're hoping is that it becomes the primary way that we think about our religion and our faith. And then quietly and gradually nurse him onto the stage at which the religion becomes merely part of the cause. 
in which Christianity is valued chiefly because of the excellent arguments it can produce for the British war effort or pacifism. This is World War II, so of course there was a political divide. Should we join the war, join the Allies, should we not? And so this is the context, but you know, it's, we have certain exact, the exact same kind of conversation going on in our current day and age. Then he says, once you have made the world an end and faith a means, you have almost won the man. And it makes very little difference what kind of worldly end he is pursuing. Whether he's democratic or republican, whether he's conservative or progressive, it really doesn't matter because provided that meetings, pamphlets, policies, movements, causes, and crusades matter more to him than prayers and sacraments and charity then, he is ours. And the more religious on those terms, the more securely is he ours. So what is the point? The point is not how well your political ways of thinking align with the gospel per se, but rather how much the gospel speaks into and influences your political and social ways of thinking. It's really just a question of direction that makes sense. What influences what in your life, in your belief systems, your ways of thinking? Is it that your political stance influences the way you think about the gospel? Or does the gospel speak into and influence how you think about your politics and the way that you use your ballot box? Again, as I said, you can come to many different conclusions on that. This is not to point you in one direction or the other. Because the gospel does have something to say regarding our politics, regarding our thinking about societal and political and cultural problems. You don't have to turn there with me. This is, um, hopefully I can do this quick enough, because uh, I know we're already getting to that place where we're going to have to really speed it up. But this comes from Ephesians chapter 2. Paul writes, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world. Remember, we're in movement to the world, the, like, the belief systems, the understandings that the world offers and that the world follows, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body, and the mind, the ways we think about others, the way we think about ourselves, the way we think about God, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we're basically up to where we've been. Um how we think about ourselves, being saved, how God thinks about us, how we think about others. 
But chapter 2 doesn't end there. Listen to the language that Paul uses here. Continuing in chapter uh, 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh. Gentiles, it's an ethnic word. It's a, um, it's a racial word. The Gentiles to be distinguished from the Jews. You Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you at that time separated from Christ. So listen to the language. Alienated from the commonwealth, political, that's a political word, of Israel, another national identity, an ethnic identity, a cultural identity, and strangers to the covenant of promise have no hope and without God in the world. But now Christ Jesus... You who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man. You could translate that one new humanity in the place of the two, so making peace. So there was a cultural political, national, racial, ethnic division that God in Christ Jesus is what? Reconciling us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached to you who were far off and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father, so then, you are no longer strangers and aliens. Another political term or national term. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, the whole thing, the whole system, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now, realizing that that can be read a ton of different ways, and that, yes, this is a particular moment in history, and Paul's talking to a particular group of people with social and political and cultural identities, and he's using it as an illustration to talk about the radical nature of what the gospel does, the point that he's making, and that I'm just trying to draw our attention to, is that that's not just for the particular Israel and Gentile communities. The point is that all of our ethnic and racial and cultural and political identities are now caught up in that story, that are now a part of that story. So whether you're an Israelite or you're a Gentile, whether you're an American, whether you're from South southern Sudan, or whether you're from Eastern or Western Europe, wherever you happen to be, whatever color your skin is, we are all now involved and have access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I also know that some of us are, are kind of tired of talking about these things. And I just want to be honest about that. I know that some of us are just kind of feel we're just over it. But that's a dangerous place to be. It's been said that indifference is worse than hate. I mean, think about what we read from 1 John earlier. How can you say you love God, but you do not love your brother? Think about the, good, the, the story of the Good Samaritan. 
Those that passed by didn't hate that man. They were just indifferent. So let me just say this, and we're going to do our practice. None of this is to have anything to do, or I'm not attempting to use the gospel for a cause. I'm not attempting to um, point us in any direction about where we should arrive or the decisions we should make regarding things like who you're going to vote for in a couple of weeks, whether or not you should support things like BLM, Black Lives Matter, whether or not you should support critical race theory. I'm not at all pointing you in any direction regarding those things. And I'm not trying to co-opt a scripture to do something even remotely near that. However, those things are in the air. Those are the kinds of things that we should have on our mind and in our field of vision when we find ourselves on our knees, at our bedside, in a gathered place like this, inviting God to tell us and show us and speak to us about how we think about such things. Our life with Jesus, when we follow Jesus, it's not somehow removed from the very real political and social issues that plague our country and our world. And I've, in the past, I know I have been, and I know, I won't speak for Jeremy, but I know I have been so reticent and so cowardice to be explicit about the kinds of things that I believe that the gospel can speak into without naming such things as George Floyd, without naming you know, what is going on in our country. I mean, without even being, yeah, just even thinking about the different cultural divides that exist in Vickery Meadows between ethnic groups there. So, with all that in mind, let me remind you that this is a safe place. Even if we don't agree about every detail, we're going to do our process again. We'll take a few minutes for us to hear from God. We'll have some questions on the screen. And then we'll, we'll share that in our groups, what we think we've heard. Let me pray for us. Search us, O God, and know our hearts. Try us and know our thoughts. And see if there be any grievous ways in us. And lead us in the way everlasting. Amen. Take about three minutes.
Okay, you can turn to your group and uh, just share. Yeah, whatever the Lord showed you it could be good, it could be not as good, um, but let's take a few minutes to do that now.
Okay, we're going to continue now. Um, I, I really do hope that, you know, I know it, it probably, again, wasn't enough time for you to really even get into this, but I really hope and pray that, um, you know, those kind of questions, that conversation, um, you know, if anything, this was just like the beginning of a conversation that you might have or beginning of a, of a kind of pray, prayer life that you might step into to really think through these. And, you know, again, the direction of all of that could go any, any way. It may just be that um, some of us are finding out that, you know, we actually make hasty generalizations, um, not necessarily about the people at issue in some of these, like, racial controversies that go on in our country or these political debates that go on in, in our country, but maybe we make hasty generalizations about the people that hold such views on either side and that that in of itself is already problematic for follower of Jesus. Um, so, final movement. Again, this one will be kind of brief. Movement three, thoughts about Jesus. So we've thought about how we think about ourselves. We've thought about how we think about others. Well, now let's pray and ask God to show us how we think about Jesus. Again, this might be called the temptation of the devil to love or hate Jesus wrongly. I mean, we all know the Sunday school answer, but the question is, like, how am I experiencing Jesus? Who do I know him to be in this season? James chapter 2, verse 19, James writes, You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. What's the point? The point is, good or right or correct theology is not enough. The demons know God is triune but one. They have right theology, but they just don't love God. By the way, this uh, little quote is actually from uh, James chapter 2. Is the chapter with the famous, um, at least I think it's famous, uh, Faith Without Works is Dead chapter, which is interesting because that same chapter begins with James saying, quote, no, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the chapter where James is urging us to sh show no partiality, no prejudice. He quotes the greatest commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, love God with all your heart all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, love your neighbor as yourself. And all of this in the context where he says there's a connection between our faith in Jesus, our faith, this vertical relationship, and the love, care, works, and service towards our neighbors in our horizontal relationships. Again, right theology just is not enough. We are to accept, receive, and cherish the love of Jesus. And this love, in turn, will turn us towards our fellow humans in a profoundly new way. I like how, Kate, uh, how Kyler has said it before. We lay down our weapons against God and against one another, and we exist as a totally new creation. Here we're back kind of where, um, somewhat where we were just a moment ago. For he himself, Jesus, is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh, the wall of hostility, that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of two or three or twelve or however ethnicities and races that we can come up with, so making peace and reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So we're going to take another short moment. We're going to invite God to show us, to speak to us. We're going to listen for what he has to say about 
how we think about him, what our affections are for Jesus. And then, with a slight twist, we're actually going to, this time we're not going to share in our smaller groups, I'm actually going to grab this microphone and I'm going to invite you to tell everybody what you think or what you heard or what you're feeling. As a, I mean, y'all are looking at each other. Really just as a way of committing. This is a safe place. My assumption is basically everyone in here agrees with you about Jesus. And so I'm just inviting you to step out and to commit yourself to sharing who you think Jesus to be. You could call it proclamation, testimony, witness. Kyler might call it prophecy. But let's just take a few minutes. I want you to answer these questions. Think about how you're experiencing Jesus in this season of your life, how good he is, how great he is, how kind he is. Just listen close. And um, then after that, we'll kind of finish our time sharing about that experience. Let me pray for us. Search us, O God, and know our hearts. Try us and know our thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in us. And lead us in the way everlasting. Amen. Okay, so does anybody have anything they would like to profess, confess uh, for the rest of us? And by the way, confession is not always a negative thing. Sometimes we just confess our faith. Sometimes we just confess what we know to be true about Jesus. So, um, yeah, anybody? I mean, you could just call it out, or I can bring you the mic. It's up to you. I think Jesus, um, for me, is not always seen, but he's always felt in the moments that I need him most. That's great. So I was thinking about it even just now. Uh, I was thinking, Jesus is patient. He's always been patient with me. Um, I'm kind of dense sometimes, and so uh, he just kind of never runs out of patience for me. Again, if you can't say it here, um, I don't know where you might say it. Anybody? I would say um, experiencing Jesus, um, just being real close and um, making all things new when we really need them to. Um, that's what it's to me. Thank you, Ryan. Maybe one or two more, and then we'll continue. We're running out of time, so. 
Oh, good. Jesus is the same Jesus that he was in the Bible. That's good. The Jesus of Scripture is the Jesus. Jesus is God. Okay, well, we haven't done this in a while. We'll get better at it. Um, I know it can be a little uh, unnerving to talk in front of a group, um, but uh, we'll, we'll have more opportunities to do this, I'm sure, in the future. I know it can be hard sometimes, but Jesus makes it possible. He makes it possible for us to share with one another what we know to be the truth. Jesus in the new life, the abundant life that he offers, he unites us. He brings us together, even if we don't always see eye to eye about everything. Whether our social, political theories, economic strategies, all that we think will help our world. None of it matters, and none of it actually will work and make things better. And in fact, through unintended consequences, collateral damage may actually make things worse sometimes, unless... We allow for the mutual, paradoxical miracle of sacrifice and mercy to join with responsibility and justice, and we allow the cross to shape and to inform um, how we make such decisions. So let's remember together that his body was broken so that we might be made whole and united and brought together. That his blood was poured out and spilled so that in him we might have new life. That we might be a new humanity. Treating one another. Cherishing one another. Loving one another. That new blood now flows in our veins. So I want to invite you to stand. Kyler, you can come on up. Kyler, we went a little late. So you may just have time for one song if that's okay. But... Um, so I'm going to invite you to read the yellow text with me. And then after we're done reading, you can come down, you can receive the communion elements. And then after that, you can return to your seats. You can just receive communion um, there privately, quietly. Um, just to, again, inviting the Lord, the same thing we've been inviting him to do all, uh, all afternoon, to show us, to search us, to know us, and then receive communion, knowing um, that in being known, God is with you, he is for you, um, and that he loves you, and it's Jesus is our testament to that reality. So read the yellow text with me. You made us to be one family, yet we have divided humanity. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. You came into this world in order to reconcile all races, cultures, and ethnicity, yet we continue to sow disharmony and strife amongst races, cultures, and ethnicities. Christ, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. You rejoice and celebrate our differences, yet we make them a cause of enmity and disdain. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy.